Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our podcast will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service and the occasional interview or ministry resource. We hope you'll subscribe. Now, here's today's message. Good morning. The reading today is from Galatians chapter 6, verses 15 through 18. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Good morning and welcome to Redeemer Lincoln Square. We are in the very last sermon of our series on the book of Galatians. If you can remember all the way back to the fall, last year we did a series on the life of Abraham. We saw how he was sent out. And you're wondering how, how will we be sent out? And then we went in January, we went to the book of Galatians to say, okay, then how does the gospel send us out? And now in the last four lines, the last four verses of Galatians, Paul says, he summarizes, he says, nothing else matters if you don't have Jesus. Look at verse 15. It says, it doesn't matter if you have circumcision or uncircumcision. None of that ultimately matters. Okay, then what does? Well, look around. What we're witnessing right now is the frame of our society. That usually in national disasters like this, we pull together. But that's not what's happening. Various political factions are looking at the same data and interpreting it differently, which means we can't even agree on what's wrong. New Yorkers, we were told to go inside, and months later, here we are, and there's no end in sight. And so we're at our wit's end. Our systemic problems haven't gone away either. Not one bit. We're mourning another black man's death in the Maude Arbery, which is reigniting a valid conversation about race in America, again. Opening the schools. Do we keep them closed? Because if we keep the schools closed, well, then that hurts the people who are the most poor, who can't afford to have an adult home to help with the schoolwork. But if you do open them, what about the possible risks? How do we not hurt people by opening the economy? How do we not hurt people by keeping it closed? So... Christians and non-Christians alike, I think we're all asking the same question. What, what are we going to be about going forward? What should we stake our, our hope and claim to? And what Paul says in, um, in, in this text, in verse 16, he says, the church, which he calls the Israel of God, what he's saying is the true people of God are not going to root themselves in their racial identity or in their traditions. No, they have to be utterly and completely different from everyone else. And so we need to tackle this problem. What we need to do is we need to see is what is the church supposed to be about going forward, particularly in this pandemic and out into the world? And I think Paul tells us at the end of this letter. So let's break it up in three ways. Let's look at the church as it is, the church as it could be, and then the church coming into being. The church as it is, the church as it could be, and then the church... Um, how will the church come into being? So first, the church as it is. And as we wrap up this letter, we need to remember 
why was Paul writing it in the first place? He was because there were people in the church back then that were saying that you need to be circumcised. It was a theological debate. And Paul tries to answer that theological question. And this whole text is saying, no, faith in Jesus plus anything else is not, is, is, is actually not good news. It's faith in Jesus, period. So Paul calls, in the text, he calls it slavery. He calls it bondage. But interestingly, at the end here, he doesn't just say circumcision is the problem. He says actually uncircumcision doesn't matter as well. I know I'm speculating a little bit here, but it's quite possible that there were people that were going around at the time saying that, hey, we're not beholden to the old Jewish traditions like those people over there and those weaker brothers, and they looked down on those individuals. Hey, we're more right than them, and we're going to elevate ourselves, our more right status, up over others. In other words, what Paul's getting at here is that, yeah, you can sin by adding to the gospel, but you can also sin by looking down on and thinking you're better than those who are adding to the gospel. You're in the same boat. So I know few churches today are fighting over circumcision anymore. But what they do do is they spend a lot of time discussing who's really in or out of the church. Big theological discussions. So many churches spend so much effort on doctrinal purity. And we fight over this. And, and, and um, there's a lot of spilled ink on this about who's really, who really gets it, who really understands the inner workings and particular theological uh, truths. It's the exact same thing as, as this debate back then. And this line drawing doesn't just happen on theological uh, issues. It happens also on cultural issues, ideological issues. Do you say things the right way? Do you not say the right things? Do you, how are you going to posture yourself? How are you going to uh, position yourself? This is why the church is in the same boat. We're looking at the same data as everybody else, and some churches are saying, hey, we have too much government involvement, too much government invo- involvement, open up the economy. And then other people are saying, no, 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 we need more. Shut it down, shut it down. This is, and this is why the church is known in culture as being the type of uh, group of people to say, listen, I'm right and you're wrong and I would love to tell you about it. That's sort of the posture of the church. I'm right, we're right, you're wrong. And let me show you this blog and this p- position paper and some links that I can forward to you so that you really know what we're about. Now, if you're not a Christian this morning, uh, it's not only the religious people who do this. There's a lot of folks who say, hey, the non-religious people are in and the religious people are out. It's the tolerant are in and the bigoted people out. Everybody likes to draw lines like this. And so we shouldn't be like, oh, those silly Christians, I can't believe they're doing this. No, this is part of human nature. And this, but the sad part is, of course, that the church should be different. And yet they have nothing to offer that's unique to the world. It's just It just gets labeled as one more loud voice that is claiming to power, oppressing some people, you know, um, protecting other individuals. And when the church gets overly interested in proclaiming its theological supremacy or if it's ideological supremacy, it's, it's cultural supremacy, it's going to lose and it has lost its unique voice. So no wonder Paul's saying, ultimately, that doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter if you're right or wrong on this theological debate he's saying. It's a very powerful statement. So then, okay, then what does matter? Second point that um, we see here, and that is what, is, what, the, what could the church be? The church as it could be. 
And what Paul says is the only thing that matters is the new creation. What if the church led with, not theological debates, not with cultural debates, but led with and said, we are essentially about the new creation. See, Paul is saying that that means the church is the agent by which the kingdom of God is going to be ushered in. The kingdom of God, this new creation that's going to be renewed, this universal promise that that at the end, things are going to be fixed and remade. That's what the church is supposed to be about. And Paul goes into this a little bit better in a, another letter to the Romans. And I think it starts in Romans 8, 19. It talks about how creation is, is groaning with eager expectation. That's the, that's the language. Uh, creation's frustrated. In verse 21, it talks about it's in bondage and decay. And we know about that bondage and decay, don't we? Oh, we do. We thought we knew about it before the pandemic. We definitely know about it after the pandemic. It's been revealed to us about just these past few weeks, the the utter helplessness we have. Every decision we do is going to hurt. Opening the economy is going to hurt. Keeping it closed is going to hurt. Suffering is happening, and it tends to hurt, first, the most vulnerable. In New York City, it's our Latino and African-American communities that have the least amount of bandwidth to to handle a crisis like this. And so we, we have brokenness in this world, but obviously biologically, with this disease and virus, but it's also socioeconomically, racially, uh, relationally with each other. So what is that? That's all creation groaning. And what Paul says, he has the audacity to say, yes, yes, it's bad. What's so profound though, if you go into the book of Romans here, he says that's bad, but we actually have the first fruits of creation. The Greek word for first fruits is the word aparche. And, and what he's saying is, is that it's possible that even in the decay, even in the brokenness, you can still taste and experience the beginnings of this new creation, the first fruits of it through the person of Jesus. Now, how's that possible? First, first way is hope, in hope. Uh, the best illustration I've ever heard of this uh, is imagine two individuals working in the same factory, same exact experience, same job, they're, they're standing next to each other, drab job, long hours, poor conditions, the risk of illness, you know, every given day. One person signed a contract to be there for $10,000. The other person signs a contract to be there for $10 million. Same job, same experience, utterly different in how they interpret that experience. Right? The first person is going to say, hey, this is terrible. I can't believe uh, I, you know, I'm doing this. How long can I, can I keep at this? The second person is going to say, okay, conditions are bad, but you know what? Sign me up. Let's do this. I can't wait to tackle today's problems. Right now, why the difference? It's not because of their circumstances, right? Same circumstances. It has everything to do about how they read their present circumstances in light of their future hope. See, hope here changes everything. Hope can't stop and it won't stop the hardness of the pandemic. But what it can do is inoculate you from the decay because you have a vision of the future that you can taste now, that you can actually have now. Real hope changes your present, not because your circumstances are changed, but because your understanding of how the future reality is going to be and that can break into your here and now. This is why Paul even calls it first fruits. It's an image 
that I think a lot of modern New Yorkers, I think we have a hard time with because we're not from an agrarian society. We uh, don't rely on crops on a seasonal basis. But try to put yourself in their, in their shoes. Imagine you were in a society that was completely farm-based. And what the first fruits did is they showed you what your future was going to be like. How those first tomatoes turned out. How that first ear of corn tasted. Even if your current circumstances, that you were hungry and you were starving, if you knew that your future was going to be bright, it changed how you lived your life in the present. Knowing that the harvest was coming, that the newness of life was very literally breaking into your present world and saving you from starvation. And so if Jesus is the first fruits of creation for us, what that means then is the resurrection is a stamp telling us that when we live in light of it, if we believe in him, we get to taste that future that's assured for us now. So that means we're all in the factory right now. But are your circumstances infused with this future hope or not? Because the di- it's going to be the difference about how you live out this pandemic going forward. Period. But the hope of the future, those first fruits are possible and given to you now. Now, first, that's hope. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastor and other members of our church community. If you have questions about today's message, send an email to lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our Sunday worship service. Now, here's the remainder of today's teaching. Secondly, what you can also have in new creation is you can have what I'll call balance. It's a kind of an interesting topic to bring up, but uh, American optimism is actually playing itself out right now. You can Google American optimism or European pessimism in, in COVID-19. And we all know that certain individuals are naturally more optimistic or more naturally pessimistic, but whole cultures are this way too. And Americans are known worldwide to be more optimistic, and that's playing itself out in regards to the coronavirus. Now, the problem with that is that being either optimistic or pessimistic means we're not actually being realistic. So the question is, is how do we get the balance? Again, imagine two people, two individuals, both terminally ill, both chronically sick. The first person says, you know what, I have to live with optimism. I have to live in light of the fact that there might be a cure. And that, that hope is going to drive me forward. And this, even if it's a rash, even if it's uh, illogical, I'm just going to still hold on to that. The other individual says, no, 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 no. I can't live my life as, as, as if there might be a cure when it's too painful. It's too hard. I have to shut down that desire. I need to live in the present moment. And so I'm going to be pessimistic. Pessimistic about reality and a cure. Actually, both ways are not Christian. They're actually both wrong because both they're both not actually realistic. Christianity, though, comes in and says, actually, it's, we're, it's, it's more optimistic and more pessimistic than either one of these views in and of themselves. Christianity is more pessimistic than uh, this pessimistic view because 
your problem is not just your body is ill. Your sickness is not just in your body, just your cells. No, the sickness is deeper. There's a disease killing you worse than this virus. It's your identity that when you live it unto yourself, apart from God, every fiber of your being is falling apart. And so you're not just sick, you're actually lost. And it took the very second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. Him being lost is only the way for you and I to be found. Therefore, our situation is worse than we think, much worse. We're more pessimistic, and yet at the same time, it's more optimistic because Christianity says what? Yeah, you're going to die. Yes, there's sickness unto death, but you're also going to live, that you will live again one day, different than this broken life, not just reanimation in what we have here, but instead, real, thriving, and shining, and singing and radiating but we're going to live again for forever that's completely different do you see the crazy balance here then left to our own personalities or or even our own cultural backgrounds we're going to shade more optimistic or more pessimistic but if you're both low and high at the same time it brings realism into your life how it it, it keeps you from being just shallowly trite walking around saying, don't worry, it's going to work out one day. We, we, that's trite because we know, as we see in this pandemic, sometimes it doesn't work out. But at the same time, it keeps you from being bitterly and ultimately and utterly disappointed because we know it won't always be this way. We know that there is healing, that there is high power and life in truth that will break into our drab and dreary broken world. I'm going to try to give you a quick application of this. Uh, if you believe, if you have held the new heavens and new earth in your life, that hope will keep us from saying, this world, this physical world doesn't matter. God's going to take me out of this place, so see you never creation. It, it will keep you from that. And yet at the same time, it will keep us from throwing ourselves into and only into this world as if we can ultimately fix it all when we can't. Instead, we can enter into and heal much of the decay. And if we do, Paul is saying in verse 16, peace. He says, peace for all those who follow this rule. What rule? The rule of this new creation. How do we live it out? With a assured future, breaking into our life in the here and now, right now. That means this world, the kingdom of God is here, but it's not fully here. And that means we can have the energy to fight the disintegration of our life. Why? Because we have hope. Because we know how it's going to end at the end of the day. Knowing that there's going to be racial reconciliation one day means in the here and now, we can put ourselves into relationships of difference. Now. Knowing that our broken sexuality, and I think everybody everybody has broken sexuality, knowing that there's going to be healing at the end means that we can be honest about it now. Knowing that we're going to be part of an, the ultimate family and have communion with God allows us and keeps us from being despondent about the lack of community and our singleness now. If we as the church had this vision, even when this city is falling apart, that we're in this pandemic, we know that we can make a difference here in New York, helping rebuild it, 
because we have the first fruits of Jesus going before us. Redeemer Lincoln Square's vision has always been about restoring New York City and the people within. It was that, that was the case before this pandemic, and it certainly is the case after this pandemic. I pray that you will join us in that. Unite in this conviction. Now is not the time to give up on this city, that we're called to go in to the groaning creation, and we can use Jesus' first fruits. And if we give up now, if we do give up now, it's possible that we didn't care about this place all along. We just cared about what it did for us. Instead, let's use our resources, God-given, to go further in. Let's expand, therefore, our view of creation, that our life isn't just about our our job, our immediate vicinity, or just our our sphere of life. No, our real calling, your ultimate calling is to the restoration and redemption of all creation. And it begins right here. In this city, creation is groaning. This city is in need. And we're here. So are you in? Last point, how then might this church look as it comes into being? What might it look? And, and I, I'll tell you how first it won't happen. It won't happen by uh, the way the world thinks. If you look at Paul, who was an agent of this new creation, his body is filled with scars, it says in verse 17. It, I'll read it. It says, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus, which most commentaries say, as a reference to all the times he was stoned and left for dead in Acts 14, or he was beaten or imprisoned. In in 2 Corinthians 11, it talks about how he had countless beatings. In other words, if you want to be an agent for the kingdom of God, it's very probable that you're not going to get praised, you're going to get beaten. That the world's narrative is the way you're going to fix the world is by being a success. Start a business in your home. Uh, grow it, become CEO, sell it to somebody else, and with the proceeds, then use your power and your influence. That's what the world says. That's not how Jesus did it. That's not how Paul did it. And that's certainly not how the church is going to do it. It'll be with marks on our body. You probably won't get an award for fixing the city. Post-pandemic, nope, you're more likely to get beaten up. That's what we're being told here. Why? Because the kingdom of God always comes through brokenness. Jesus won by losing. He went up by going down first. And if the God of the universe does that, if that's how he wins by losing, then those who follow in will do likewise. No wonder Sarah and Abraham sat in infertility for decades. Moses and the the Israelites were on the run. Jesus' disciples were mocked in almost every town that they went into. Why? Because It's in that brokenness that God begins the new creation. The fact that new creation happened to Abraham and Sarah in their old age. The fact that Moses and the Israelites made it. The fact that the disciples were listened to. What is that? That's the new creation breaking forth. And starts in the most unlikely places. That means then the world acknowledging us is not the point. Having the acclaim of the world is not the point. To win by losing What that means is that we love even without the recognition. That means we serve the city even if the city doesn't serve us. What you find in Revelation 21 is the city comes down. We don't go up to it. It's coming down to us, which means living in this one right now is actually just preparing us for the next. The best example I can give you of this that I've used before, but it's too good. 
years ago, I went to an exhibit at the New York Morgan Library with a friend to look at um, drawings by J.R.R. Tolkien, who, yes, he wrote uh, that epic novel, but what floors me more was a little, uh, it, was a, it was a side, a small drawing of an owl. And the reason why that hit me is because he drew it for, at the time, his young son, Michael, who was having nightmares, and, and I quote, of a, of a large and sinister owl that glared at you. And so his son is petrified and afraid. And to deal with this fear, what Tolkien does is he redraws the terror in a semi-comical way to help reinterpret it so that his son could deal with it and take away the real danger. So Tolkien then, look, he doesn't belittle his son's fear. He doesn't minimize it or dismiss it. No, he enters into his son's hurt and literally redraws it. He stood in between the fear and his son and dismantles the fear through his creation. Our fears are real too. Our certainty, our uncertainties are real. What's going to happen? When's it going to happen? How's it going to happen? But when we give ourselves wholly to God, God doesn't belittle our fears. He doesn't minimize them. No, he redraws them like Tolkien. Think about it, death. He, God through Jesus enters into death. And yes, it's still there for us, but it can't ultimately take you away from him now. Why? Because Jesus decreates himself to recreate you and I. The creator enters into creation to deal with the darkness and the fear and the sin himself. That is what Jesus did. And this church will come into new life and being. If we too, in the midst of suffering, if if what we do is we allow this first fruits of creation to impact our hearts now, that we can live in light of this coming hope, that means then we could sit in, this, in the midst of this sorrow being agents of change, knowing that after darkness, there's always light. Now we can recreate New York City. Put your heart not in theological discursions, not in cultural hopes, not in blind optimism or pessimism, but in the new creation, and if you allow it, it'll allow you to live into this world, even though there's broken creation, even when things are falling apart, even when our bodies are falling apart, even when our families are falling apart, even when it seems like the city is falling apart, we can now love it further and more without needing it to be more than what it, it can be and definitely not less than what it will be. We can be part of that, be part of this new creation. We are about the new creation. And nothing else matters. Are you in? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, creation is groaning. We're groaning. We're so sad. There's so many things breaking. We have systemic problems that are breaking. We have our own mental Ill- mental health breaking. There's sickness and disease everywhere. We have the first fruits. We know how it's going to end. We know how the story is going to end, Father, and that lets us enter into it now. Enter into the hurt and persevere and be long-suffering and do something about it. Help us not run away. Father, some of us are individuals of means, 
Help us to rest. Help us to be able to, maybe for a season, but to come back, Father, in love and care and cherish, to be salt and light. Salt's preservative. Light is truth and brightness and warmth. You've done this first. You've gone forward. And now we get to as well. Help us do these things, Father. Amen. Thanks for tuning into our church's podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our podcast and we invite you to join us for worship on Sunday. We're located at the corner of West 64th Street and Central Park West. More details can be found on our website, lincolnsquare.redeemer.com. Thanks again for listening to the LSQ Podcast.